Welcome to another episode of the Untitled Podcast. Let's discuss Aerosmith. Part 2. What you are about to hear is deeply disturbing. Have you made a lot of money in your yeah, day? Millions. You have? Oh yeah. Where is it now? Went up my nose. <laughs> <laughs> I must have snorted up all of Peru. Joe and I are the toxic twins, baby. Live Bootla. I know people who love that record. Right. I never was in love with that record. I like the side that's the weird side where there's stuff from a the club.
but like that whole first side, I never listened to it because that's the era where the groove was gone. Yep. They were high. They were giant rock stars. And I think they were playing a lot of big stadiums and things. Yeah. And they were loud. Right. And that's the greatest way for a groove like that to disappear is you start playing way loud like yeah. that. Down the Uno's, ooh, just a
that era of the big stadium shows and whatnot, it didn't particularly sound very good. No. Like that Stones, um, you got the DVD from the uh, Los Angeles 75. Yep. They're terrible.
So anyway, that's what got me in. And just by chance, they had just done Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club. Yes. So I went to the theater and I saw them. And of course, they're the only... The only redeemable thing in the whole stupid movie. But they were cool, you know? force that would poison young minds, pollute the environment, and subvert the democratic process. This was the enemy, the future villain band. came out and it was like all of a sudden I, I had a lot of arrows up yes uh, Ignite and Ruts uh, yeah once again I don't know how much detail but yeah. that was I got that one in the store when it came out right yeah that and was it, my first that, new arrows and it's record. a great record I love it I love it
some of the songs start to get two parts now. Now the arrangement and the time, listening back to it now, the the time spent isn't there. Right. They've got better things to do, like wreck a Porsche or... Well, this is where the stories are really good. Yes. Like trying to replace Joe Perry with Michael Schenker. <laughs> like, how can you replace Joe Perry in Aerosmith? But, um, okay, Night in the Ruts. Uh, Chiquita. Love it. That Can you play that riff? I have never sat down with it. I can't even under, I can't even hum it.
Well, the, well, first of all, it goes on for like 16 bars. Right. <laughs> it's yeah. like the longest riff in history. But it comes back around. I like that on that record. I like um Walking in the Sand. I love that. Steve Tyler has great instincts for cover tune. Talk about grungy sounding record. That record sounds like the cover too. Yes, it does. <laughs> it's all dark and it's all... you don't know what's going on. <laughs> They're in a cave. You can't yeah. even tell who the people are in this. You know what I mean? Like, look at the way like Steve Tyler looks on the back of that record. He doesn't even look like himself at all. Coney Island, Whitefish Boy. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, that's good stuff. There's good stuff on that record. I like the whole record. This one has Mia. That song is so epic.
doesn't Jimmy Crespo show up on this record too? Yeah, but we don't know where. That kind of sums up that period right there. Well, they were almost sort of like actors in a movie that haven't read the script. I read, you know, Joe Perry had obligations, but he came back in the studio, even though they were technically broken up. And he'd come back and do, you know, guitar solos, like all that shit on Cheesecake. Yeah. But he would switch between slide and lead without overdubbing and without stopping and without running back tape, like live while the tapes roll. Yeah.
just wanted to get it done and get out of can, there. <laughs> can we, you want to set up another truck for the slide? No. I just exactly. knock it out of right now. And that's I'll, what he I'll did. Switch. I'm sure Jack is like, you're going to really do that? Well, you could just set up another track. Jack Douglas. 48 of them. Jack Douglas is gone. This isn't his record. Did, now, what happened? Did he try to start a record? I, I don't who's the know. Who's producer of that record? Because it's a great sounding record. This guy named Gary Lyons. I think I saw his name on, like, didn't he do metal stuff later on? I, I believe he did some UFO stuff. Yeah. And which is where I think that they tried to get Michael Shanker to come in. It's like they're held together with like tape and glue. But here's the thing, man. The hair stand up on the back of my head when in the middle of reefer-headed woman. Mr. Perry! Sounds like he's murdering that guitar. We've just, we went from, this record is not that good to, it's fantastic. <laughs> I love the record, I gotta say. But I have a, I kind of have a special place, you know, the ones you buy. I kind of like that one better than Draw a Line. <laughs> well then, technically, they break up. It all just goes to crap. It was the Red Greatest Hits record. Joe Perry at this time was sleeping on his manager's couch. Right. And he went to the mall. And so he got Joe Perry walking around a mall and a kid comes up to him and he's holding this record and he said, Joe, will you sign my record? And Joe Perry said he looked at it and it was that greatest hits record. Yeah. And he said, when did this come out? <laughs> He'd never even seen it. It's a great record though, man. I hope he signed it. What the hell is this record? <laughs> Strange not to be believed. I reached out to feel, and the pony's eyes opened. 
So I'm thinking Aerosmith's broken up, and of course I'm reading about it, Cream Magazine, all that shit. And then I see Aerosmith's back together, and they got this new guy. And it's like, he doesn't look like Joe Perry, but they tried to make him look like Joe Perry. There was, you know, did, did we talk about that? It uh, That was a scam back then. Yeah. What about when Cheap Trick got their two replacement bass players, oh, who looked exactly like yeah. Tom Peterson? Yeah. Especially the Italian guy. Right, right. Yeah, uh, Camito, <laughs> I think it was. You you got to have to find a, a, a guy with black hair and... and was kind of tall. Yeah. Yes, Tom Peters. Well, they, you know, even just, you can tell, like, on the back cover, because I went to the record store and I saw Rock and Hard Place, so I had to have it. Okay, well, first of all, it really does have Stonehenge on the cover. It It's a really <laughs> stupid album cover. Even for me back then, I thought it was a stupid it, album cover. It, it's no kidding around. It is Stonehenge on, right. that, on the album cover. Their whole deal was Steve Tyler's living in the, what, St. Mark's Hotel and in Greenwich Village. In Greenwich Village. I went by there recently because I'm like, I want to see St. Mark's Hotel. Oh, God. <laughs> it's like... I mean, he was down in oh, it. Well, he would, he would go around the corner and to this window and people would lower a bucket down to him. He'd put his money in the bucket and they'd bring the bucket back up and lower it back down with heroin. This is not making for good records at this no, point. No, but they made a great record anyway. They somehow... Okay. Bolivian Ragamuffin is a great record.
Okay, who's this other guy? That's Rick Dufay. Is he on the record, though? Uh, I don't think he's on the record. No, he is. Okay, I, I never... Some people would like jail bait and lightning strikes. Cry Me a River is a... It turned me on to that song. Now, I've gotten old enough now, and I can appreciate and, and know that the original version right. is far superior. But at the time, man, that, that's some nice guitar work on there. Um, very straight-up jazz kind of sound. And it, it's going for it. I, I love that version of it. It was almost like he was singing it to Joe, you know, because it was coming from a different place than, you know, it was originally written for. But I, I think it's fantastic. And I think, again, his vocals at the end, he nails that shit. Yeah, it's it's a it's a great 
great uh, recording. All right, but then what happened when you flipped over the record when you bought it, and then you hear Joni's Butterfly on Prelude to Joni? It's strange. And they never did anything like that ever again. No, that was the last time they did anything right, right. like that. But yeah, yeah, that's a. It's, I like it, but sure, it's I like real it. Real different. Yeah, that record is. Okay, we just managed to to build up this record. Yeah. <laughs> How about um, Steve Tyler doing the cat sound and uh, in the middle of Rock in a Hard Place? That tour, okay, now that was the disaster. I saw that tour. You're kidding me. No. Where did you see it? Baltimore, Maryland. I'm not sure the venue. That concert was great, but it was interesting seeing that lineup. But that's the tour that he almost died twice, right? <laughs> right. I mean, I was in between one of the shows where he didn't die. <laughs>
Now, at the same time this was going on, the Joe Perry project. Yeah, we've got to talk about that too. A friend of mine that used to play uh, in Cry of Love, Jason Patterson, his band uh, opened for Joe Perry at a big club. In walks the band, and Joe Perry is decked out in full red leather. <laughs> and he said, man, he looked cool as hell. Yeah, sure. He said, man, it was like, oh, there's a rock star in the house. And he said they went up to the stage, they plug in, and he said they start playing. Joe starts kind of rocking back and forth and turns kind of greenish, falls face first on the stage, first song, and doesn't get back up. Before long, here comes an ambulance. They put Joe in his red leather on a stretcher, and they go out, and that's the end of the Joe Perry Project show for that night. <laughs> what did you think of that Joe Perry album? Let the music do the talking. That's yeah. great. There's another song on there that sounds like it was recorded. It's like in a swamp. The Mist is Rising. Yes! <laughs> that's a great song.
This is the Untitled Podcast. But I like that record. Yeah, it's not perfect, but <laughs> compared to what came after. Did you hear any of those, the next Joe Perry Project album? Yeah, no, I kind of had lost interest. It's almost like a Xerox copy that gets worse each time by 12. <laughs> yes. Because the first one's pretty cool, and that's also <laughs> produced by Jack Douglas. Okay. And um, so it's, it's pretty cool, and it has um, the break song. That long-ass guitar solo, it sounds like something out of hell. Yeah, so the next one came out. I've got the rock and rolls again. Thank you. 
That second album had a couple of good songs on it. And the third album... Oh, I didn't even know there was a third record. In the early stages of when you would have such blasphemy as to say something about your rock gods, like, what the fuck? (laughs) So, like, I pick up that record, right? It's got the worst album cover. And then you look at them on the back. They look like pirates. And they do a cover of uh, Bang A Gong. What? enough about the Joe Perry project. Yeah. So then they get back together. We're going to get back together, but we're still going to be high. Right. They put out that Done With Mirrors album. Okay. That's the tour I saw them on. Uh, and so we'll get to that in a second. Done yeah. With Mirrors. That's when they, the album cover, you're like, what? I mean, the album cover doesn't fit that band at all. That's the ultimate record where they ran out of steam that all the songs are just two-part. It's a verse yeah. and a chorus, verse and a chorus, guitar solo, verse and a chorus. And then Ted Templeton produced that record. I'm sure he tried his best, but there wasn't anything there. Well, according according to what I've read, they said that he would run tape, and they were so fucked up, they didn't know that he was actually recording, and that they actually had a song, so a lot of those songs were kind of jams anyway. My Fist, Your Face... I guess that's good. That's a good song, My Fist Your Face. There's nothing on there. Well, you know, the song Darkness that came on the cassette version was good. Take my mind. 
proclaimed myself an Aerosmith genius, I, I think I was out of line. Okay, so I saw that. I had proclaimed myself an Aerosmith genius, I, I think I was out of line. I saw that tour. Yeah. Greensboro Coliseum. You know, yeah. this is 1918, yeah. whatever. <laughs> and just like that, the lights went the out. The lights went That's out. That's kind of how that whole night was. <laughs> Hilarity ensues. We go down the street. There were a lot of empty seats there. Number yeah, one. That's the first thing I noticed. All of a sudden, the guitar would be the loudest thing there was. It would be over the whole band. You didn't know what the hell was going on. The night goes on, and it's just getting worse and worse. There was a bad drum solo. Of course. It was loud, out of tune. They looked like corpses. It looked like The Walking Dead. I'm not kidding. There's no two ways around it. They were real thin and pale white. Are you going to say what it means to work to somebody? At all. When I see you walk by my line, fucking guy, he's a real fucking flaming ain, okay? I realize I'm fucking really tired, but I'm waiting for this shit to come over. Well, see, this is where I really just about shut off popular rock and roll music. Sure, and that would shut you off from it. Well, think about all the bands <laughs> at that time. It was over, man. Yeah. The good groups had either broken up or turned into such parody. There was that gap there, and that's where I think a lot of people went off and, you know, they found the R.E.M.
End of part two. To be continued in the next episode. Stay tuned. This has been produced by Donnie Shattuck.